We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Well, good morning. How are you today? Good? Okay. One person's good. And the rest of us are here. This is what it feels like in COVID, isn't it? We're like, I'm here. I made it today. I made it here. Guys, it is good to see you. This is only my second time to get to preach to a live in-person audience since the beginning of March, um, uh, given uh, the, the COVID scare that I had a few weeks ago and then being out of town on vacation and just kind of our, our schedule. So I'm excited. I'm also nervous. It feels like my first time to ever preach this morning. It's kind of that, that feeling. But I am thrilled to open up this text with you and to look at this. And before we get into this, let me just, let me just kind of give you an update of kind of where we're at right now as, as a church through this. Um, obviously, we don't know um, when we will be able to be back in the um, theater. Uh, we're not sure when that's going to come. Uh, there's uh, still just too few people allowed in the theater. Uh, 70 at a time can be in there, which would put us at like five services. And so we're just, we're here for the duration. Um, we don't know how, um, as we move forward, uh, how much COVID will spread throughout the people of our church through whether that's, you know, becoming, um, uh, getting COVID somewhere else or whether that is at church. Uh, we could show up, our directors were um, communicating this morning and uh, with just the reality of, hey, we could have a Sunday where we just don't have enough volunteers to do church, um, which is a legitimate understanding, a legitimate concern of volunteers, uh, but, but the perspective that we want to remember is uh, that's an issue of form, right? Doing church with enough volunteers is an issue of form, not function, meaning the way we do things, speakers, projector, um, multiple greeters at the door, all that kind of stuff, that's form, that's not biblical, right? What's biblical is that we are the gathered church. So just know you could show up one day and it's like 12 of us sitting in this room and we barely have the lights on because um, no one even showed up to turn the lights on, right? Um, if that's you, the lights are over there, all right? You can go turn them on. They're at the back of the room and the air's up here if you ever show up and that's not going. But, but seriously, we could show up and it could just be completely stripped down and just some of us gathered in the room singing a cappella and reading and preaching the scriptures and that's the church gathered. Right, we will continue to move forward with what we do that way, um, as well as the, the elements of, of doing communion. And so, um, man, we're excited to get to continue together that way. Thank you guys for your patience and just your, um, and just your ease of following along with uh, the, the guidelines that we've placed out to help protect and be safe in this area. 
This past week, my family and I got away uh, for the week. We flew down to, uh, to the, the Gulf Coast, and we spent some time at the beach and um, just uh, kind of relaxed and rested. And, and I was struck with the reality that I was um, incredibly more tired than I thought I was, right? Just worn out and deceitfully tired, right? I didn't know how worn out I had been, I think, from the whole situation of COVID. And and you're partly to blame for how deceitfully tired I was. (laughs) The reason you're partly to blame for that is because you as a church have been so unified walking together in this that there was no overt um, struggle that I was facing, right? Your unity and your gentleness with one another and your kindness towards one another Um, led to me being deceitfully exhausted. I didn't know how tired I was. And so that's a compliment to you to say thank you for walking in unity, right? Thank you for being a church that that submits to one another and loves one another and cares for one another. And uh, and then thank you for letting your pastors get time away. I did this past week. Pastor Sam and his family do in a couple weeks. And so thank you for letting us get that time away to to rest and be restored so that we can um, continue to lead through this. Hey, today, um, we, we, uh, today and next week, we get to say some goodbyes, the, the initial goodbye, like part, goodbyes part one of, of two. Matt and Grace Nydig, uh, who have been members of our church for, for a long time here, Matt, longer than Grace, she married into membership, if you will. Um, the the Nydigs have been here for, for a while with us, and, and this week and next week, they're saying goodbyes to us, temporary goodbyes, and then in October, they will be back to say a final goodbye to us um, as resident covenant members. Matt and Grace are in the application process with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, and over the next uh, several, mo- several months, they'll be spending time with their family, um, visiting family, talking to family, enjoying that, uh, and then uh, we'll come back to be with us in October, probably around the 18th, uh, where we will get to do an official sending them off as their church. And then in January, Lord willing, they will be moving to Southeast Asia. They'll be moving to Southeast Asia as missionaries. And so today they're gathered with us. Next week they'll be here. Make sure that you get to um, say goodbyes with them, pray for them as, uh, as they are doing that. In a couple weeks, we're also going to get to um, give the official goodbye to two other families in our church, the, the Reeds and the Clements. The Clements are leaving us to go to New Mexico and be a part of a church planting team there and help a church plant and then and strengthen that plant and continue in training to then be sent out from that church plant and plant another church in New Mexico. And so on August, I believe it's 2nd, is that Sunday? August 2nd or 3rd, whatever that Sunday is, we will say our goodbyes to them. Uh, And and then also on that same Sunday, we'll say our goodbyes to the Reeds. The Reeds have been um, coming to Emmaus. They've been covenant members of Emmaus since the very beginning. They came to our very first worship gathering we ever had as a church five and a half years ago. And they are actually, they're not leaving Kansas City, but they're leaving Emmaus to be a part of a church plant in River Market um, that needs people to join them and help them in reaching um, that segment of the community here in Kansas City. And so they're leaving a family, a church family that they have loved for five and a half years and that has loved them to go be a part of that and to continue investing and strengthening in that young, struggling church plant there. And so um, we're excited about that. And, and how fitting today in this passage uh, that, that we get to say in the next three weeks, we really get to have three gospel goodbyes. 
Right? We've come to call these gospel goodbyes here at Emmaus, where we have people who we love and who love us, and they're sent out from us um, to help people look to Jesus. It's very fitting in this passage that we would be looking at that today. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into this text. Jesus, thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for safety. We thank you for health. We thank you for freedom. We thank you for the privilege of gathering with your church. And Jesus, more than all of these, we thank you for you. For you are the greatest treasure. You're the greatest gift. You are what we strive for. And you are the only one who's worthy of all that we have to offer. Today, help us to look to you. Help us to count the cost of looking to you and to help us rejoice in the cost of looking to you. Today, speak your truth to the hearts of the children in the room. Open their eyes to see the wonders and the mightiness and the glory of Jesus. And open the hearts of the adults in this room Break through our skepticism and our doubts and our worries and our stresses and our anxieties and pierce us with wonder today. Today, would you be with the Nidigs as they go throughout a couple weeks here of saying goodbyes here and then go spend time with family elsewhere. May those times be treasured. May they be special. May they store them up. May they be encouraging to them. And Father, may you continue to work out the details, to send them so that they may help others see the glory of Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. When I was a little kid, I was often distracted, as many kids are. I think I was maybe one of those that would, if I would have been born like today or in the 2000s, I probably would have been diagnosed with something, right? Like ADHD. I was born in 1980. Before anyone was quick to diagnose, they were just like, he's just a kid, right? That was what you had then. You were just, that was your diagnosis, you're a kid. But I was the kid who was always dreaming, always thinking ahead and paying very little attention to what was actually happening right in the moment. And so my mom's practice with me and all of my distractions was to grab my chin, to pull it towards her face, to put her hands on my cheeks, and to say, look me in the eyes. I remember the most vivid time of this was when we found out that my little sister, who was in my mother's stomach, was going to be a girl and not a boy, and I wanted to give her back. <laughs> I was five. I didn't know that you could not exchange or return and I wanted a baby brother, not a baby sister. And my, and my mother, in the midst of all of my freaking out about this and, and my, my screaming about it and my frustration, she just grabs my cheeks, she turns my chin towards her eyes, she looks at me and she goes, she will be your sister and you will love her. <laughs> and I do, to this day. And over and over throughout life, my chin continually has to be turned and redirected to pay attention. I feel like that's what Paul's doing throughout the book of Colossians. He's taking the chin of a distracted church, a people who are easily 
distracted easily, um, turned away easily, um, tricked and, and deceived, and he's taking their chins and he's turning them back, but not to himself, but to Jesus. He's turning chins and pointing eyes over and over again to Jesus in this book. Getting our attention off of the distractions and saying, look to Jesus. In this passage, Paul has that same aim. The passage that we're reading today, the aim of his life, which he mentions here, is to warn and to teach this church so that they may be presented to Christ as mature in Christ. He has a goal, and his goal is their maturity, that they would be mature in Christ, that they would not be tricked and deceived and deluded by these distractions and by these false um, doctrines and by the, the philosophies and the wonders and the loves of the world that their eyes would be set and focused on the person and the work of Christ. His cure for their easy deception is to continue looking to Jesus. Last week, Paul grabbed the chin of the Colossians and he turned their head to Jesus saying, look at him, look at Jesus and see God. And today, Paul tells them that doing this is worth anything that it has cost him. Because if they will see Jesus, they will be encouraged. If they see Jesus, they will be knit together in love. If they see Jesus, they will find wisdom and knowledge and treasure. If they see Jesus they will keep, and keep looking to Jesus, they will not be easily deceived. And Paul points out in this passage, it has cost me much. I have struggled and I have suffered and I have toiled to keep turning your chin to Jesus. And it was worth it. I rejoice in it. Kids, last week, Pastor Sam gave you two beautiful points. I love this family integrated thing that has brought to our preaching to go, here's, here's the point for children in our service to, to help you come in because I love it because as the adult, I actually learned from those points. They're the point that stays with us. I'm like, this is transforming to preaching. Pastor Sam said this, here are the two points for our kids and for all of us last week. Jesus is best. And do you remember the other one? Jesus is boss. I think I heard someone say that through a mask. Jesus is best and Jesus is boss. And if that is true, which it is, then here are today's two big ideas. Helping people see Jesus is worth whatever suffering it will cost you. Helping people see Jesus is worth whatever suffering it will cost you. And secondly, never stop looking to Jesus. Two big ideas today. Helping others, helping people see Jesus is worth whatever it will cost you. And secondly, you, yourself, never stop looking to Jesus. Paul, in this text, tells us that he is rejoicing in his sufferings, which have come at the cost, as a cost of presenting this church mature in Christ. His goal is to present the mature in Christ. What it has cost him is suffering. In other words, Paul is seeking to make this church mature, and as a result, he's feeling much suffering that is coming his way, um, persecution and imprisonment and hunger and discomfort and opposition. And he rejoices in it. Like there's joy that comes from it. He's, he, he doesn't look back at his sufferings with bitterness or with resentment 
or were you really even worth it, church? And if you would just be a little bit more faithful, then maybe, maybe it would have been worth suffering. But he just goes, my sufferings are something to rejoice in so that I can keep helping you look to Christ. It was worth it. One pastor said that this joyful sacrifice, which Paul is referring to here, this joyful sacrifice is when you give up something that you love for something that you love more. Right? Joyful sacrifice is when you give up something that you love for something that you love more. Right? If you don't love what you're gaining more than you love what you're losing, you'll never endure in the suffering it costs you to gain it. Examples. Kids, it's like when you get a weekly allowance, $10 weekly, and you get to take that $10 and you can do with what you want. Some of your eyes are huge. You're like, I wish I would have gotten a $10 a week allowance. Some of you are adults, you're doing the math. You're like, that's a good income for a kid. And that kid gets a $10 allowance and they immediately want to go to Target and to buy a toy. There's all kinds of $10 toys they want that will break before dinner. But if that kid really wants a $100 bike, then perhaps there'll be enough discipline. Perhaps there'll be enough love of the idea of that $100 bike to wait 10 weeks. 10 weeks as a kid is a really long time to wait, is it not? Seems like a lifetime. You have to give up something you love for something that you love more. You give up singleness for marriage. There's great benefits with marriage. There was great benefits with singleness. Something you loved, and I see young men struggle with this a lot, they love being single. So much so that it's difficult to commit and become married. You love the freedom of having no kids. And at some point in your marriage, you have to give up the freedom of having no kids for the joy of having kids. You give up a new item that you want for generosity. You give up foods that you like to eat for healthiness. You give up pain and time and sweat for exercise. You give up rights for unity, like wearing masks to church. You give up sin for the joy of holiness. You give up your community, your friends, your family for mission, like the Nidigs and the Reeds and the Clements are doing. You give up all kinds of safety and preferences to present each other as mature in Christ. You have to love something more to give up what you already loved for that. Now, we don't know how much Paul loved his safety or his security or his power or his prestige, but he's human and I would expect he had some sort of love for those. And he says, I rejoice at the sufferings that I've had. I rejoice that I have given up. I rejoice that it has cost me these things so that I may present to you mature in Christ. Paul points to his sufferings in chapter one, verse 26. He points to his suffering and his toil in chapter one, verse 29. And he points to his toil again in chapter two, verse one. And Paul knew suffering was coming. If you remember in Acts, 29, in Acts chapter nine, Christ calls Paul 
to be his messenger of the gospel to the Gentiles. He calls Paul to go to the Gentiles and to turn chins towards Jesus. And he says, I will show you how much you must suffer for my namesake. Paul was not deceived and tricked. He got into this knowing it would be suffering. But he didn't know what kind of suffering and how that suffering would transpire and to what degree that suffering would come. But Paul knew that following Christ would bring suffering as you and I do. Right, there is suffering that just comes from living in a fallen world. Romans chapter eight tells us this. Because we live in a world affected by the fall, affected by sin, there is injustice and there is sickness. We're experiencing that today, are we not, in our country? But there is also, we see, in John chapter 15, a type of suffering that comes directly because you're a follower of Jesus. Jesus says, if they persecute me, will they not also persecute you? There is a type of rejection, a type of oppression, a type of struggle, a type of opposition, a type of persecution that will come our way simply because and only because we're followers of Jesus. We've been promised this. And Paul would say today, helping others see Jesus is worth whatever it costs you. It will cost you something. And it's worth whatever it costs you. It's worth it. However much Paul loved his comfort, he loved Christ more. However much Paul loved his safety, he loved the thought of this church loving Christ more. However much Paul loved his rights, he loved the thought of a unified church in Christ more. However much Paul loved being loved, he loved the church not being deceived by the lies of the world more. He loved Christ and Christ's church more than he loved his own ease and comfort. Whatever it costs to help people see Jesus, it is worth it. This is why Paul can rejoice in his sufferings. This is what the Nidigs have to decide, had to think through before moving to Southeast Asia. Do we love Christ and helping people see Jesus more than we love our comforts? This is what the Clements have had to decide. This is what the Reeds have had to consider before moving to another church. This is what Mariella and Darian have had to decide before moving to Southeast Asia and to North Africa, or South Asia and North Africa. The Higgins before they moved to Seattle. The Chaplains before they moved to Rhode Island. The Strothers and the Kenyans before they left us to go to St. Louis. The Osbournes, Osbournes before they left us to go to Waco. And church, this is what you and I must consider daily. It is one of the ways in which we daily take up our cross and follow Christ. Are we willing to move somewhere for the sake of the gospel, to strengthen or to plant a church? Are we willing to give up our vacation time and our tax refund to spend a week around the world sharing the gospel, pointing chins towards Jesus? Are we willing to give up the car we really want for generosity? or feeling awkward at work, or even being rejected in order to tell someone about Jesus? Are we willing to inconvenience ourselves with community in order to help one another within our church body grow into the maturity of Christ? Are we willing to confess sin in order to walk in holiness, to risk humiliation in order to walk in the freedom of knowing we are forgiven? Are we willing to lose wealth and safety and comfort and family and familiarity and praise and acceptance in order to turn chins towards Jesus 
and say, look at him. He is worth it all. He is your greatest prize. Paul is rejoicing in his suffering because he has a purpose. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now I don't know if this verse catches you off guard, but it sounds a little risky. Paul says here, I'm rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. Okay, that's fine, we get that, Paul. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. What in the world does Paul mean that he's filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ? Well, let's start with what he does not mean. We know this for sure. What Paul does not mean is that the death of Christ, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ lacked anything for the power to save. We know that for sure. That is not what he means. That would contradict what Christ said and what Paul says elsewhere. Christ's perfect life, his substitutionary death, and his victorious resurrection are enough for your salvation. And so that's not what is lacking. Perhaps the greatest help I had on this passage came from John Piper. On this verse, he referenced back, cross-referenced back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 30. In the book of Philippians, Paul is in prison writing to the church at Philippi. And Paul is suffering in prison. And the church at Philippi loved Paul, perhaps unlike any other church loved Paul. To a greater degree, they loved and cared for him. And this church has been praying for Paul. And they have, um, they've been trying to encourage Paul. They've taken up a gift for Paul to care for his needs. And then they sent these gifts and this care and these prayers by a man by the name of Epaphroditus. Because you see, something was lacking in their care for him. They prayed for him, they loved him, they gave to help him, but there was something lacking in their care. Someone had to bring the care to him. Paul's in prison. He doesn't know that they're caring for him, that they're praying for him, that they're taking up a collection for him. What good is their collection if it doesn't come to him? What good is the encouragement if it's not shared with him? And so Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 30, speaking about Epaphroditus, who has come to him with the care of the Philippian church, says he almost died to complete or to fulfill what was lacking in your service to me. It's the same language, the same idea. Epaphroditus almost died in order to complete what was lacking in your care for me. How did he complete what the Philippians offered to Paul? He completed it by bringing it to Paul, by presenting it through his own sufferings, presenting their care to Paul the good news of the care and the support of the church at Philippi. It's the same language and the same idea we see here, I believe, in Colossians. That Paul says, I am fulfilling or I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Not that any more needs to be done 
to empower salvation or to be able to save. But you, Gentile, you had to hear the good news about Christ. In order for this good news to take effect, they had to hear it, receive it, and believe it. And he goes, so I am completing this. I am fulfilling this by bringing this to you. This is the good news. This is the message. This is the mystery that Paul toils with. It says in verses 25 through 27, that he struggles with all the energy which God will give him to work within him in order to share it. God has given me an energy and I will use all that he has given me to be able to share this good news, the good news of Jesus. Last week, Pastor Sam so beautifully preached the passage before this where Paul grabs our chins, points our eyes towards Jesus and says, look at him, see him. God, the incomprehensible one, made himself known to us by sending himself to us in flesh to be known. Pastor Sam said last week, our God has not left us to fend for ourselves, trying to find out what he is like or how to worship him. Rather, he has sent himself to us in his son, Jesus, that we may see God by seeing Jesus. And then Jesus sends his followers, such as Paul, such as the apostles, such as you and I and thousands of others throughout the history of the church, He sends his followers to grab the chins of people and point them to Jesus so that by seeing Jesus, they may see God. He points us to him. We grab the chins of people and we say, look to Jesus, see his birth, humble and lowly. Look to Jesus, see his life, obedient in every way. Look to Jesus, see his suffering and his betrayal. Look to Jesus, see his death, unmerited and undeserved. Look to Jesus and see his resurrection, this undefeatable one. Look to Jesus and see his ascension, this unbanned one from the presence of God, his father. See Jesus. Do you see him? Look at him and believe he is your only hope. For you are a person who is soaked in the filth of your sin and unable to cleanse yourself. Look to Jesus and be cleansed. Paul rejoices at his suffering to help chins look towards Jesus. Helping people see Jesus is worth whatever cost, whatever suffering it will cost you. And Paul's longing is to present this church as mature in Christ, right? He tells us that part of this maturity in Christ is that they would be knit together in love and that they would not be easily deluded or easily persuaded, easily deceived. In order to do this, his goal is to keep this church looking to Jesus. Chapter two, verse two. Let's just read verse one for, and, and following. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures 
of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul says, look to Jesus so that you will be knit together in love. And stealing from a couple weeks from now in chapter two, verse 19, we see that he says the head, which is Jesus, is who knits us together. So we are knit together in love by looking to Jesus and by the work of Jesus. Jesus is the one who knits us together in verse 19 as one body, and it's by looking to Jesus that we are knit together in verse two in love. By looking to him, we are knit together in love. Church, it is really difficult to walk in disunity, bitterness, hatred, distaste for each other, while at the same time keeping your eyes on Jesus. Just last night, I had this instance. Just last night, something bothered me, and I told someone that it bothered me in a way that was not helpful to tell them. It was not my wife. I know many of you are thinking that right now. It was someone else. My wife would have been more easily repaired probably. And just last night, I had to have the conversation with this couple, seeking to be knit together in love. And I remember when I was about to talk to them on the phone that I didn't want to. My pride wanted to stand up for what I had said because I believed what I had said. To point to all the reasons why what I said was true. To discount every reason that they would give me on the phone of why it was not true, of why I was wrong. And I had just finished reviewing this. And I just remembered it is very difficult to walk in disunity if I keep my eyes on Jesus. So just had to stop for a moment and pray, Jesus, would you help me to see you? Would you help me to see them as you see them? Would you reveal to me my own pride and my own wrong and my own sin? Would you humble me? What a beautiful conversation followed. Reconciliation and clarification and a knitting together in love. In a year of vast disagreement on pandemics and politics, justice issues and policies and procedures of how to move forward, we must keep our eyes on Jesus so that we, his people, will be knit together in love. In an age where social media posts shout the strongest of our thoughts with no nuance or explanation, we must be gracious and patient with each other, keeping our eyes on Jesus so that we will be knit together in love. When we feel a brother or sister has wronged or harmed us, we must keep our eyes on Jesus so that we may be knit together in love. Take note, church, that when the waves of disunity begin to crash against your legs and drag you into the sea of isolation and dissension, be sure that it is because, like Peter walking on the water, you have taken your eyes off of Jesus. When the waves of disunity begin to crash against your legs and drag you into the depths of dissension and isolation, be sure that it is because, like Peter, walking on water, you have taken your eyes off of Jesus. Look to Jesus that he may unify us, knit us together in love. And then Paul says, 
to look to Jesus so that we may reap the benefit of the riches of assurance, of understanding and the knowledge of Christ. Look at verse two and following, chapter two, verse two. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may, be de- may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul says, well, keep looking to Jesus so that you may enjoy the assurance of looking to Jesus. In other words, everything your soul is longing for, we see here, All the answers, all the knowledge, all the wisdom, all the treasure, everything your soul is looking for is ultimately found in Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. Kids, as you grow, you will find a lot of stuff in this world that you want. There will be a lot of stuff, kids, that you want in this world. New toys, new games, new friends. You will find things that you think you need, You will find ideas that you think make you wise, possessions that you think empower you, and people that you think complete you, and passions that you think fulfill you. And Paul would say, he would want us to remember that the only idea, the only possession, the only person, the only passion you truly need is is Jesus, because at the end of your life, nothing else you have gained will save your soul. With all the distractions that come and all the philosophies and all the ideas and all the loves and all the things to be gained, remember the only true treasure, the only true wisdom, the only complete knowledge is Jesus Christ himself. He is worth whatever it costs to follow and he is worth whatever it costs to help others see him. Remembering this truth and continually, daily looking to Jesus is what it means to be found mature in Christ. Paul's goal is that they become mature in Christ. And what we see here is he goes, what that looks like is looking to Jesus daily, remembering him, being knit together in love, making him your treasure, and not being deluded by the deceptions of this world. Three pastoral charges for us. Number one, to the unbeliever in the room. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and find life. If you have been striving for fulfillment, striving for completion, striving for your own um, satisfaction, wrestling with the idea of who you are and what you were created for and what purpose you have, you're wrestling with the idea of who God is and how you can know him or how you can fix yourself or clean yourself up, look to Jesus. You need do nothing but look to him in faith. He is the son of God sent by God so that we may know God, lived a perfectly obedient life to God the Father, died a sacrificial and substitutionary death on your behalf, and then he rose victoriously. And today, He stands or sits at the right hand of God the Father. It says, making intercession on behalf of those who are his. For those of us who are followers of Christ, he's literally praying for us today before God the Father. 
speaking on our behalf that we would be accepted by God despite our continual, continual sin. He is your hope. He is your answer. Look to Jesus and be saved. Secondly, to the Christian in the room, my plead to you is to help others see Jesus no matter what the cost. To help others see Jesus no matter what it costs you. Maybe you move to another city, another country, another culture, and you turn chins towards Jesus. Maybe you visit other cities, countries, cultures, and help turn chins towards Jesus. Maybe for you it looks like dis- make, disciplining yourself to have a daily time with your children where you turn their chins towards Jesus. Maybe you conquer your fears of COVID and of people and you invite your neighbors over for a back porch grill and point their chins towards Jesus. Maybe you tell the person helping you load the truck on the dock that you work at how Jesus has helped you to have assurance in difficult seasons and you point their chins towards Jesus. Maybe you talk to the other moms at the playground for that play date that you got together for and you share with them that how despite vast differences of opinion, you found yourself knit together in love with others because of Jesus and you're turning chins towards Jesus. Maybe you, like my wife, find yourself sitting with broken people day in and day out. People share their stories with you. They share their brokenness with you. They want a little bit of hope shared with them. Whether you're a professional counselor or you've never offered any counsel worth anything to anybody, you have an opportunity to turn chins to Jesus in those moments. Maybe for you, it's the loss of what you believe it looks like to turn chins towards Jesus, to embrace what God has actually put before you as a way to turn chins towards Jesus. I think of my sister in this, whose lifelong dream was to be a career missionary and her health would not allow her to do that. And yet she has embraced the suffering of a lost dream by joyfully turning chins towards Jesus wherever she has lived and whatever group she has been a part of. Whatever it costs you, Christian, turn chins towards Jesus. Help people see him. Thirdly, to the church. Keep looking to Jesus so that you may be knit together in love and you may experience the riches of assurance of Jesus. Whatever our differences, whatever our grievances, Christ died to unite us as his body. May we keep looking to Jesus and be knit together in love. And whatever your sin, whatever your doubt, whatever trial 2020 brings next, may we keep looking to Jesus and may we have assurance of this one thing. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I am found. That assurance is worth whatever cost you have to give to keep looking to Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Oh, may you forgive us. May we walk in freedom of forgiveness in the ways that we have loved what the world offers us more than we have loved you.
may we repent of and confess how we have longed for comforts and safety more than we have longed for you. May we recognize and confess, repent of how we have trusted ourselves, clung to our own wants, loved ourselves more than we have loved helping others see you. Spirit, give us the strength and the joy to do so today and tomorrow and the next day. Would you give our parents beautiful giftings and strength to turn their kids' chins towards Jesus and point them to him? Would you give husbands the beautiful ability to point the chin of their wife towards Jesus, to say, look at him, he is enough. Would you give wives the beautiful ability to point their husband's chins toward Jesus? To say, give up that sin. Jesus is more valuable than that. Would you give our community groups incredible grace with each other to help grab each other's chins and point each other's eyes towards Jesus and say that lifestyle, that decision, that choice, that belief It does not give you assurance. Jesus does. Today, may we walk out of this room knowing you're our one comfort. May we have assurance that you, Christ, the visible God, at your death on the cross lacked nothing in saving us. May we have assurance in that today. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, today we get the beautiful joy of taking communion as we do every week. Where we get to come and we get to take the bread, which is representative of the broken body of Christ. We get to take the juice, which is representative of the shed blood of Christ. We get to remember. We get to today, in a physical way, look to Jesus. Today, we get to point our children to look to Jesus as they watch us take. Today, we get to take this and we get to invite the rest of those who have gathered in this room to look at us and by looking at us, taking this to look at Jesus. What a beautiful gift this is each week to turn chins towards Jesus and say, look at his broken body and his shed blood. It is enough. Walk in assurance of that. So today, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've placed your faith in him and you've looked to him for your salvation through repentance of sin, we invite you to come take of this with us. If you've never trusted Jesus, the invitation for you is to stay in your seat. And instead of coming and taking this bread and this juice, to take Jesus. In a moment, I'll dismiss you. And here's what this will look like. We wanna be organized, we wanna be safe. So when I dismiss you, the two outside rows against the walls will go first. You'll come down, take from the table, go back to your seat. When those rows are done, the next rows inside will take. When those rows come down, they go forward and take. Then the front row will come take. Second row, third row, fourth row, fifth 
six row, I lost count. You're on the back wall, you'll come take. Does that make sense? Church, I love you. He's worth whatever it costs. Look to Jesus and help others look to Jesus. Come and take. Thank you for listening to audio from Amaze KC, located in Kansas City. For more information about Amaze KC, please visit us online at www.amazekc.com.